You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Good morning, Harvest. Uh, please join me in opening your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, Pastor Paul is, what time are we going now? Uh, he's in the West Coast right now, uh, in Phoenix. So probably, I don't know, in the next hour or two, something like that, he'll be uh, preaching the same message he preached last week here at Harvest Bible Chapel, North Phoenix. So keep him in your prayers, and uh, we'll even pray for him uh, in a minute together. But uh, I think it's important before we actually get into First Thessalonians chapter 5 that we understand why 1 Thessalonians 5, because Pastor Paul has been very faithfully preaching through Philippians recently and taking a week off and getting another opportunity uh, to speak in another passage. Of of all of the places in Scripture, what would move us to go here? Well, a couple weeks ago when uh, Pastor Paul told me that I'd have the opportunity to speak, um, knowing that I speak and spend most of my time uh, in youth ministry, he asked me to consider um, a common struggle amongst uh, youth and to speak on that uh, in a way that would apply to all of us. So tough task, but I figured, well, I, I guess I should go talk to some of our people in youth ministry. So I asked two high school girls and two high school guys the same question. Like, what, what's, a, what's a common thing that you and you think most Christians your age struggle with Um, and all four of them without consulting each other in their own words said the exact same thing it came down to a specific struggle that they felt because of a specific desire the desire they felt and that they struggled with was that they wanted to fit into a world that they know as Christians they don't fit into They knew that it's a struggle because if they're going to give in to this temptation, they know the cost of this desire. And the cost is that they'll have to compromise their values and their holiness as followers of Jesus. Do you know this struggle like like these high school students did? I know this struggle well, not just from my high school years, but, but even today. This desire, it doesn't matter if you're in high school or you're retired and downsizing, this desire motivates the way we dress, the way we work out, what we buy, what we say, what we watch and listen to, who we hang out with, where we vacation, the suburb that we choose to live in. And after they shared this common struggle, I asked each of them, uh, okay, well, like, how do you allow God's word to, to motivate you to, to stand out instead of trying to fit in? And one of the high school girls gave me 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Whatever your motivation is yourself to try and fit into a world that you know that you don't fit into, first let's... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is going to give us a more compelling motivation to walk in the light rather than walk in the darkness. What do you think, what do you think 
the most compelling motivation God's word could offer us to walk in the light. Well, I believe with all of my heart, and I believe this passage teaches us also, that the most compelling motivation, brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk in the light and not blend into the darkness is this. Jesus is coming soon. So as we go into this passage and see the contrast between two people and two worldviews, God's word is going to show us how those who are children of the light will truly walk. Those who walk as children of light, what will they do? And I hope as you hear God's word that you will treat it as the word of God, as your authority, and that we will together learn that we must do what it says. I need this. We all do. So let's stand together in honor of God's authoritative word and read this passage together. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's go to our Lord together in prayer. Father in heaven, please, let, would you be our teacher today? You say that you have given the church the Holy Spirit, which is the mind of Christ, so that we might understand all things freely given to us. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God. Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see and understand, and willing hearts that will do what your word says. Thank you for the gospel that redeems us. And thank you that in this redemption, you call us your treasured possession. So Lord, help us to understand who you've made us to be and how we must live 
as we see the day of the Lord approaching soon. Strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The most compelling motivation we can have to walk as children of the light is Jesus is coming back. Here are the qualities of those who walk as children of light. First, those who walk as children of light will remain aware. Okay, so the Apostle Paul, who the Lord used to write this letter, to say his own very word, is contrasting two worldviews in chapter 5. Specifically, we see the two worldviews interplay in verse 1 to 5. The first worldview is that of the church. The church, he says, is fully aware of the times and the seasons. Uh, they're fully aware of an event that the prophets of old called the Day of the Lord. A cataclysmic future event where all people that have ever lived and all people alive at its time would stand in judgment before a holy God. They were fully aware of it, they, so they wouldn't be surprised when it came. And because of the grace of the Lord Jesus, they would find escape from that judgment and rescue to eternal life and salvation. The other contrasted worldview is what the people in the culture of Paul's day believed. They were not aware. In fact, they lived with this anthem of, hey, peace and security, peace and security. Don't worry about anything. And that anthem motivated them to live with a, a reckless immorality because they did not know God. And they were unaware of this future cataclysmic event that they would stand before and they would not escape. Now, as I thought about this passage and how I would um, lay it before you, church, I was compelled that I could not approach it necessarily in the same mindset that Paul approached the Thessalonians in their day. Paul said that they were fully aware of the day of the Lord and that they didn't need anything taught to them. But when I see the way that I have lived in the past and the way that the church in Canada and in Markham predominantly lives today, I have no confidence that we have an awareness of the might and cataclysmic power that will face everyone at the great and awesome day of the Lord. You know what, actually, when I look at our world and the predominant worldviews of ours, Christianity, and then the others, which I would call secular humanism, frankly, it seems like the roles are reversed. It seems like the anthem of the church is peace and security. And you know what? In many ways, it's the secular humanist that looks forward in fright towards cataclysmic future events and is acting with urgency now. Let me show you. In November 2015, or excuse me, April 2015, President Barack Obama said this. 
He said, there's no greater threat to our planet than climate change. In November 2015, the Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister, Stéphane Dion, agreed, saying, it's the worst threat we have faced this century. It's making everything more difficult. When the same month, he, uh, President, excuse me, Democratic President candidate Bernie Sanders was asked if he believed if climate change was the greatest threat to national security. And he said, absolutely, climate change is directly related to the growth of terrorism. And if we do not get our act together and listen to what the scientists say, you're going to see countries all over the world struggling over limited amounts of water and land to grow their crops, and you're going to see all kinds of conflict. Just two months ago, in December 2015, all of the countries, 196 delegates of the United Nations announced they'd reached an agreement on a monumental climate change legislation act at a at a summit in Paris. A month later, the World Economic Forum released its Global Risk Landscape Report for 2016, and they said, in this year's annual survey, almost 750 experts assessed 29 separate global risks, including, like, nuclear war, and assessed the impact and likelihood over a 10-year time horizon. The greatest risk with the greatest potential impact in 2016 was found to be a failure of climate change mitigation and adaption. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if the church was motivated with the same urgency by the day of the Lord that secular humanists are motivated towards climate change, how would we be living differently? This is what the prophets of old said about the great, awesome, inescapable, cataclysmic event that is the day of the Lord. Isaiah 13.6 says, this, check out this start, wail, Wail for the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty it will come. We're not wailing. We say peace and security. Joel 2.11, the, the Lord utters his voice before his army. His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? No, but we don't have urgency. No, the church, the church stands on the beautiful doctrine of grace and says peace and security. We claim the anthem of peace and security when we abuse God's grace and let it justify us to continue glorying and the shameless acts, partnering with a world of darkness and refusing to come to the light. When the grace and kindness and mercy of the Lord was designed to draw you to repentance, how can we stand on it and justify acts of unrighteousness? We say peace and security when we abuse the theology of grace. We say peace and security when we neglect the fear of God. One pastor in our fellowship uh, that pastors a church here in Ontario says that he believes that the loss 
of the fear of God is the biggest problem with the church in Canada today. I see some people's heads shaking. Do the others of you agree? Listen to what the fear of the Lord would remedy. Malachi 4 verse 1, For the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. What is stubble do in fire? For the day is coming that shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch, but you who fear my name. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. How will we be healed by the fear of the Lord? How will the fear of the Lord cause us to turn out of deeds of darkness and into holiness and light? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. This is just after the Lord God Almighty tells his people, you shall be holy as I am holy. And then he says this, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, do you call on the Lord as your father? Then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Why? Why should we fear the Lord? Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers. What were you ransomed with? What did God see fit as the only means to purchase you and to pay for the debt of your sin? Not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. The fear of the Lord should cause us to see our sin in the way that the Lord sees our sin. And with thanksgiving for the blood of Christ, run the other way. Is that what it does for you? I need this so desperately. I know the tension. I've lived this tension with the desire to be liked and loved I've paid the cost of compromise. But if you are in Christ, you need not pay that cost because Christ has paid your cost for your sins. And now you are his treasured possession. And if you've put your faith in him, brother and sister, your good father calls you his treasured possession and he does not want to share you with a dark world. Those who walk as children of the light will remain aware. They will love the grace of God and let it turn them back to him in repentance. They will pick up the fear of the Lord and let it lead them in paths of righteousness and holiness. Those who walk as children of the light will remain aware And then verse 6 to verse 8 instructs us that those who walk as children of the light will remain awake and alert. Those who walk as children of light will remain awake and alert. Let's read verse 6 to 8. It says, I hope you got your eyes down there. This is God's word. It says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here's a very important principle that I want to give you. You can put in your pocket and see how it applies to your everyday life, all right? Who you are always determines how you live, okay? Who you are always determines how you live. We see that applied in this passage too. Those who are children of darkness are identified so because they do not believe that Jesus is the only savior of the world. With a love for their evil deeds, they refuse to come to the light. And this refusal proves their condemnation and that they will not escape the day of the Lord. Is that you? Have you come to the light of Jesus Christ? Have you believed he's the only savior of your world? Then praise God, because this is what God's word says about you. Those who are children of the light are identified so because they have believed that Jesus is the only savior of the world. In the fear of God, they do not hide their sin, but confess it. They believe that Jesus suffered the condemnation for their sin. They are aware of the day of the Lord, but they will not be surprised by it. They remain aware, awake, and alert because they are protected by their faith, by hope, and by love. Do you remember who you are, church? Who we are always determines how we live. The photographer knows that he must create beautiful things. So he will bring his camera along with him wherever he goes to capture the beauty of this world. The accountant knows he must balance that which is put in front of him. So he brings a calculator and an honest heart and analyzes the numbers to bring balance. The preacher knows he's called to preach the word. So he brings the scriptures, opens it up and says, thus says the Lord. The contractor knows he must build and repair. So he brings his tools and goes to work. Those who are children of the light know they must walk in the light. So they will protect themselves from darkness with faith, with hope, and with love. This is how these things protect us. Are you clothing yourselves with these? Faith protects us because it believes God's promises are true and it does not listen to the lies of the enemy in the world. Hope protects us because it finds assurance in God's promises and gives us the confidence to obey them. Love protects us because it binds everything else together in perfect harmony. And without love, we have nothing. Are you clothing yourselves in these things? Or are you exposed and vulnerable to the darkness and its lies? Are you steadfastly walking in the light? Or have your pupils adjusted to be comfortable in the darkness? I'd really like to offer encouragement to those of you who are steadfastly walking in the light. 
And it's kind of hard because often those who are steadfastly walking, whenever someone would encourage them or affirm their character, their response is generally just like, oh, only by God's grace, but I still struggle so much. I still need more. So, so I want to help you understand if you are steadfastly walking in the light. See, there's a next level to this steadfastness. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 shows what that next level is. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. So you remain aware. Are you aware of the day of the Lord? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. You're awake and alert. Are you walking in the darkness? Here's the next level. And here are the people that I want to encourage. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. My brothers and sisters in Christ who see the end is coming and who aren't blending into the darkness but are faithfully getting on their knees praying for me and my wife, praying for youth ministry, praying for our church, praying for our elders, fasting and afflicting your body for the sake of your faith. Thank you for being Daniel. Thank you for knowing that our culture has put out a pronouncement that it does not and wishes to oppose those who worship the name of the true Lord but thank you that even though you see it, you still get on your knees and pray and you won't compromise or give an inch. Thank you for putting on faith, hope, and love. Your mountain-moving faith is being used by the Lord to change lives. Keep enduring. The Lord is pleased with your faith in Jesus and your obedience to go to this next level. I'd also like to speak to those of you who may be stumbling in the darkness. And interestingly, on the, on, the, on the other end, while those who are steadfast don't generally admit it, those who are stumbling also don't generally admit it too. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 11 is the verse that I pray for my generation and is the verse that I want for my peers But so many of us, not just my generation, in every generation, are unable to get to this next level in 1 Peter 4 because we are stuck in Ephesians chapter 5. We know we're children of light, but we're sleeping in the darkness. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What are these things? In the passage, Ephesians 5, it specifically lists sexual immorality. Lord, help my generation, please. Our sexual morals are way too loose. Impurity, covetousness, idolatry. I've had way too loose morals in the years past when I was much younger. 
Do not let anyone deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. It continues to say that we shouldn't even speak of the things that they do in the darkness. So you might try to justify, I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not partnering with them. I'm kind of just hanging out with them. We shouldn't even speak of the things they do in darkness, let alone walk amongst those who mock, let alone participate and glory in our shame. Do not become partners with them. Why? Why? Because your identity influences how you act. At one time you were darkness, but now, brothers and sisters, you are in the light of the Lord. I implore you, as the word of God does, walk as children of light. Not only are we not aware of the day of the Lord, we're not aware of actually how the system of this world operates. Do you understand who controls this world and its systems? Let me tell you. The word of God says that we live in a world whose people are following a course of life that is led by the pull of the devil in the same way that this earth is led by the gravitational pull in orbit around the sun. They do not know it. They cannot see it. The prince of the power of the air is at work in the sons of disobedience. But because we're children of light, we cannot become partners with them. You believe that God is love? You do well. But why do you reject God's love when you numb the spirit of the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit? God has put his spirit in you, Christian. He is jealous for you, his treasured possession. Let the grace of God draw you to repentance. He will receive you. He wants you. Let the fear of God lead you in holiness. And I promise you, because the word of God promises you, the joy you want from fitting into the world that you will find from abiding in Christ and walking in holiness will satisfy the desires of your heart. But we find it in the Lord and not in this dark world. We find it in the light. I'd like to also briefly speak with those of you who are maybe here and you're just testing the waters of Christianity. We've spoken some pretty... Um, um, uh, far-reaching uh, things that you might not have heard before, like sin and wrathman and then uh, demonic control. This may be new to you, I get it. And, but let me just reason with you in a simple way. I had a conversation with a young man in London, Ontario once who was just uh, unsure about faith. And um, he tr in our conversation about faith, he tried to, to convince me that Christianity uh, teaches that uh, God only wants his followers to be good and that they're not allowed to make moral judgments on other people. 
Uh, he made those claims by citing two quotes of Jesus. You're probably aware of them. Most everybody is in some way. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Judge not lest you be judged. And then I told him, he's like, hey, you're right. Jesus said those things. And I asked him, did you know that Jesus said those, those things in the same sermon? And he, he wasn't aware. I said, yeah, they're in, they're in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. But there are some other two things that Jesus said that actually clarifies what you think he means. Actually, God does have a moral standard. Matthew 5, 48, you must be perfect as my father in heaven is perfect. Furthermore, there will be a day when God does make moral judgments. In fact, on that day of the Lord, there will be people who come to Jesus and believe they meet a moral standard but Jesus will judge them as workers of lawlessness and cast them out into condemnation, Matthew 7, 22 to 23. If you're just here and you're testing the waters of Christianity, I would say to you, do not numb your moral conscience. Listen to conviction. A moral law merits a moral law giver. A moral law giver merits a judge. And the judge will execute his wrath on the day of the Lord. The only way to be forgiven of your sins and qualified for eternal life is to believe that Jesus died for your moral iniquity, that you could never meet the moral standard that God requires of you. Admit your moral failure. Believe Jesus suffered your condemnation. And if you will leave everything to follow him with that faith, in the moment you will be qualified for eternal life because of his perfect righteousness. It will be applied to your account. Isn't this good news, church? Isn't this the only news for a world that will face the day of the Lord? Those who walk as children of the light will remain aware. They will remain awake and alert, guarding themselves with faith and hope and love. And then this last one, those who walk as children of the light will remain assured those who walk as children of the light will remain assured. You want more good news? Let's keep reading the passage. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 to 11 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We have this assurance, church. Not only as children of the light do we know that the day of the Lord is coming and we will escape it, but because Christ has died with him, died for us, we live with him now, both now and in the future, whether I'm awake, whether I'm here in this body, or whether I'm absent from the body or present with the Lord, 
Eternal life doesn't start later. Abundant life is now. And we will experience eternity out of time and space with our Lord in his kingdom forever. Whether you are awake or asleep, you can have the assurance now that you live with Jesus. There's a difference between, this is important, there's a difference between security in our salvation and assurance of our salvation. Security is the completed act that gains us forgiveness that was accomplished apart from my involvement. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, I can't save myself. Completed act never change. Assurance, on the other hand, our assurance can, can, can waver because assurance is our emotional confidence today in my security and that confidence will motivate me to walk in the light. So my wife and I have been married for just over a year and a half now. And uh, recently in our marriage, I've been learning that like, I get the whole th thing that the book of James chapter one says I'm supposed to do, I get that backwards. Sometimes I'm like, I'm quick to speak and slow to listen, rather than how it says I should be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak, right? And I'm, I'm still learning this, but what I've noticed is that when I'm quick to speak, sometimes my words can hurt. And then when I see that my words have hurt, I, I feel shame. Now, in the vows that me and my wife wrote, um, we wrote five, that's five of hers and five of mine, complimentary statements. Um, that we believe reflected what God had for marriage. And as a postscript, the end of each statement, I put three clauses that I believe were very important. Um, as we stand on his grace in the strength he provides for as long as we live. So like my, my second vow was, I will love you and sacrifice for you as Christ loves and sacrifices for his church as we stand on his grace in the strength he provides for as long as we live. Because guess what? The D word doesn't come up in marriage, not in ours, as long as we live. And, and I need his strength, because you know what? I can only love my wife and put her before me when I'm abiding in Christ and his strength. And I can only do it when I stand on his grace, because you know what? There are times where I will put myself before her and I will not love her in the way that Christ loves his church. So when I hurt her with my words, I, instead of feeling the love and affection in our marriage, that, that I feel fear and shame and, and doubt. But because I know our marriage is for as long as we live, as we stand on his, uh, in the strength of God, as we stand on his grace, I have the confidence that I can come back and ask for forgiveness and I can be assured that she will forgive me. And the emotions I had because of the wrong that I did of fear and shame and doubt, those will be replaced with love and affection and joy. In the same way, friends, you may have the emotions of fear and shame and doubt, and if your pupils have adjusted to the darkness, 
that the light of God's word hurts right now, you may not have the assurance that merits from God's secure salvation. But if you will come back to the light because of the covenant that the Lord made with you in Christ Jesus, because of his grace, he will forgive you. And once where you felt fear and doubt and shame, you will again know the love and affection of God and you will be filled with all of these fruits of the Spirit, and you will have the confidence to know, I am loved, I am a treasured possession, so I will walk in the light and not in the darkness. And you know what, church? We desperately need each other. Let's read this again, verse 9 to 11. Verse 11 is so important. Verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Harvest, we don't have the luxury to live a private faith. We are a body and we need each other. Moreover, Satan is crafty. At one moment, he will tempt you with sin and the next moment, he will accuse you as a sinner. He is a liar and the father of lies. And we need the body of Christ to speak the truth in love. Because you see, a lonely heart or a heart that chooses loneliness will quickly breed deceitfulness. And a deceitful hard heart will harden and stay in the darkness. Husbands need their wives. Children need their parents. Younger men need older men. Younger women need older women. We are a body. We need each other. We need each other to speak the truth in love so that we wouldn't be tossed to and forth like styrofoam cup on a tidal wave. We need the security that comes from truth. We need the harmony that binds us together in love because the end of all things is at hand. Will you walk as a child of the light? Those who walk as children of light will remain aware. They will not abuse the grace of God, saying peace and security with loose morals. They will let it lead them to repentance. They will pick up the fear of God and let it lead them to holiness. They will remain aware, awake, and alert, putting on faith, hope, and love to protect them from the darkness and they will remain assured because together we speak the truth of the gospel and lies erode when the truth stands firm. Church, will you walk in the light with me? We desperately need each other. Please stand with me. We'll pray together to the Lord.
yes, Lord, we need each other, but if we do not have you, we have nothing. I remember Moses plead with you. What is it that makes us distinct from every other people on the earth? Is it not your going in and coming out from us? Is it not your presence that makes us distinct from every other people on the earth? Lord, Lord, thank you that you have given your Holy Spirit to your church. And thank you that your spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And thank you that it reminds us that it is not us who faces wrath and judgment. Thank you that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Father, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us for neglecting the fear of God and abusing grace. Forgive us for allowing our pupils to adjust and be comfortable in a world of darkness. Strengthen us with your spirit's power that we will walk in the light. And there, Lord God, give us joy. Give us peace. Remind us we are loved, that we can love you and walk in the holiness that is worthy of the gospel. Hear our prayer and hear our songs of praise. We offer them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.